Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Good Friday afternoon to you. Welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call. So you know the format. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests to answer your questions and one hour. It's Friday the 24th of July. I'm Nadine Blaney. Don't worry, Kashi will be back next week. Just bear with us for the next hour. So joining me in studio is Kim Slater. He's from Kimber Capital. And via Skype, we have Andrew Whiteland, who is joining us from DP Wealth Advisory. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Let's get to our stock of the day, though, shall we? GUD Holdings. Now, not everyone thinks it's a thrilling company. It manufactures and imports automotive products, pumps, pool and spa systems in Australia and overseas. So it's got a business here in New Zealand, France and Spain. But it is releasing its results next week because they start to trickle in. So I'll start with you, Kim. We've seen some of the macro factors actually working in GUD's favor, particularly when it comes to automotive. You know, mm. we've seen an uptick in the purchase of motor vehicles, cars. And, you know, I've spoken with a number of people who've said, look, people will improve their cars even if they can't afford to buy another one. And we've got all this stimulus sort of moving around the system. Does it make you look at GUD's prospects favorably? Well, I guess if you know that reference to something like BAPCOR, which is the spare parts supplier to the automotive industry, and they've been reporting that um, sales have been going quite well. I mean, looking at uh, G- GUD, the half-year um, half-year result was it was pretty was pretty pretty much flat line coming in December. I think EBIT was down about 1.1 percent. Now that was pre-COVID, and if you're seeing flat EBIT in the December half. It doesn't really hold up that you're going to see much growth occurring in the in, in, in the in the second half of the year. So, I would imagine that their results for the year are going to be down. Um, and yes, it's a reasonable it's a reasonably well-run company, slot perhaps slightly defensive, but can I see much growth happening in the in, in top line earnings and in the share price? Not really. Andrew, so I, 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 I think it's I think it's one that you leave to the side until there's until you see what the, what the actual results are. Okay, Andrew, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that one then. Do you like any of the macro conditions you know, that could work in GUD's favour? Uh, like is probably a, a generous way of putting it. Um, I mean, 75% of their earnings come from that automotive business, uh, that Davy pump business and the, the agri focus, and I think agri is actually holding up all right. Um, is only 25%. So if it's so heavily loaded towards the automotive side, and look, sure, there's some thematics around, as you're saying, increased uh, automotive sales and people, you know, not wanting public transport in the COVID world, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I tend to also look at the company actually giving the market some update. We haven't heard from the company since March when they withdrew guidance. We, We haven't heard anything since. So it's, it's, it's a solid company generally, but in this type of environment, especially given, as you said, it's about to report ex-dividend in 24 days, short interest is rising. So, you know, people betting that perhaps the result isn't going to be so flash. 
I'm with Kim. I'd probably be on the sideline from this one. Okay, and is that sort of the the a bit of a warning sign for you guys? I was speaking with someone yesterday who said, you know, fast. Uh, good news travels fast. Um, bad news travels very slowly. Correct. I would have thought in a, in a market like the that they and where they're not, where there's not huge volatility swings in their in their in their earnings that they can predict reasonably well, that they would have come out somewhere, you know, two or three months ago with an earnings guideline for the end of the year. They must have had a reasonable feel for what it, uh, for, for what it was going to be. They haven't done that. So, you know, the onus is therefore, what are they hiding? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is the stock of the day, GUD Holdings. I don't think that was a fantastic endorsement from either of our guests. Let's get to the first stock of the day that's been picked by you. So this is Invocare and the suggestion is coming from Shiv. Andrew, I'll start with you up there in Toowoomba. Um, this is a company that uh, continues to lose market share and then COVID sort of ironically is not good for the funeral business. Well, ironically, you could say it's good. Oh, yeah. Depends on which irony we're talking about. Um, we help, I, as some viewers may recall, I worked for Macquarie for a few years and we helped float this business back in 1997. Uh, so pretty, pretty across it. And it's, it is a great business, but it's not just the funeral business. It's actually a listed property trust as well. And if you have a look at how the REITs have been performing, uh, they haven't. In fact, REITs was the second worst performing sector on the ASX uh, last financial year. Uh, the dubious honour there held by energy, but REITs were um, set sort of the second worst. So that's also not in their favour. As you said, Nadine, there's a number of legislative or um, uh, regulatory issues they're facing or a number of people that can attend funerals, that type of thing as well. Um, again, one of the things I tend to look at is what is what's management and directors doing with stock? And when you've got the CEO selling 13% of his holdings over the last 12 months, that's not a good look. Um, you know, this is a, a company, it's $1.4 billion. The CEO's paid a million bucks. He now only has 250000 So at a time where the share price is under pressure, as we just saw with that chart, if you really believed in the business, wouldn't you be loading up? You wouldn't be actually offloading. So number of headwinds, as you said, Prosper's, um, uh, not Prosper, um, can't remember the name of the company now, isn't it terrible? Invocare. But, um, oh, no, 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 the competition. Um, sorry, I'm blanking on the competition. Apologies, Recently know. listed. Uh, and so they're losing market share to them. Uh, you've got a big capital expenditure program underway across the 200 plus funeral homes as well. Uh, obviously exposure to Singapore, which isn't terribly helpful at the moment. Um, it's trading well below consensus, but I can see lots of reasons why they shouldn't, why they, why they are in that place. And I'm certainly not a buyer at these levels. But death and taxes, Kim. I mean, there's two certainties in life. Exactly. I mean, I think this is a, a slightly defensive stock. It's got about a 4% dividend yield. A um, couple of things that drew my attention to it. It's just had a $200 million placement um, back in back in back in April, and I think it was around 10.20 a share. So the stock's trading around placement price. The funeral industry in Australia is about $1.6 billion um, in sales annually, and they have about 20 a 25% market share. So they're 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 the dominant they're the dominant player in it. So the things that obviously drive um, you know funerals is migration and population growth. We're, we're seeing migration in Australia slow down. Population growth is what population growth is. I think it's about 2%, 2%, 2 a year. The fact that they're, um, they're, they're, they're undertaking this refurbishment um, 
program and they've also refinanced their three-year debt gives me some gives me some faith in the company because the bankers would have crawled right right over the balance sheet and looked at all the all the uh, the covenants and everything. So I think um, at around these prices, as Andrew said, it's trading below where the consensus is. But I think this could just be one of those defensive stocks, 4% yield, um, probably not a lot of upside, but by the same token, probably not a, not a lot of downside in the market. So if you're, looking for, if you're looking for a defensive yield play, this might actually suit the bill. Okay, and it's Propel Funeral Partners Propel, that you were trying yeah. to remember there. Andrew, I couldn't think of it either, PFP is the ticker code. But yeah, I remember talking about Invocare a couple of years ago because they're really moving into this, you know, um, end of life celebration sort of Correct. area of the market, which is very big and has had good trends overseas. But of course, COVID, you know, COVID mm. puts a stop to all of that as well. All right. I thought that was a good one. Let's get to our next stock. This one has been sent in by Shane. It is BWX Limited. No big surprise. The ticker code is BWX. So it's in the sort of Skincare business, I suppose, for you, lack probably, of a you'd better... Pro you'd probably know more about it than I would. Well, <laughs> that, that is a possibility. But it says that it's, um, it's had a $50 million equity raising um, actually just this week and uh, put out some preliminary revenue and earnings for FY21. So it's guiding to at least 10% sales and earnings growth in the next year. Um, you think that's a conservative view? Look, there's a familiar theme that's coming through here that we've seen in the last couple of months, and that's a lot of these companies restoring their balance sheets with 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 their equity issues. Um, and the, the the question the question is, what, what are they doing? What are they doing with that with that capital? Now, in the case of BWX, they've um, they're, they're building a they're building a new factory, so obviously there's uh, you know there's good demand for their products. They've rolled out um, a uh, a skincare range in the US, I think it's under the Sukum brand, mm -hmm. which is both sanitizer and um, and skincare, and that's been sold through uh, through the Target chain in the US. So, which is big. Which, 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 which is big. So there's a there, there's a growth runway there for the stock. Um, trades on a pretty high pretty high multiple, um, but um, look, I think that's justified for the growth that uh, this particular sector has. And if anything that's been, if one particular theme that's been coming through in COVID, that is people are spending more money on them on themselves, and skincare is a range, you know, range of products that falls into that into that category. Yeah, well, you know, we do talk about the lipstick effect in times of recession as well. Co yeah, you know, you'll correct. spend a bit of money on something that makes you feel a little bit good when you yep. can't spend it on, on other things. Um, Andrew BWX, I'm not sure if you follow it closely, but yet is pushing into America. It, it raised those. Those funds, and you know, is also potential potentially looking for acquisitions. What do you make of it? Yeah, certainly they're in the middle of doing that SPP at the moment, that share purchase plan. And generally, when that's going on, that tends to sort of hold the stock back because I think 340 is the SPP price, whereas where are they at the moment around that 415 mark? So you know, if I'm holding it, I could potentially, as an arbitrage, sell some on market and then hope to get filled back up on the SPP. So that tends to put a bit of pressure on the share price. You referenced that US business, and of course, we've seen the Aussie dollar uh, really rallying uh, recently. Where is it? Around the 71s, something like mm -hmm. that. So if that was to continue, is that potentially a headwind for them? Because I think from memory, around half their earnings actually is now denominated in US dollars. So that potentially is an issue for them. I did see, I I did, yeah, I did see the f somewhere in the annual report that they do actually hedge, hedge some of their currency exposure. So it might, that might not be as big a issue um, going, mm -hmm. going, going forward. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. And, so, and 
Yeah, no, so you, and you're spot on, Kim. You, so really, to that point, it's making sure, A, do they have hedging in place, which, as you've just pointed, they do, but how long out does it go for as well, uh, and at what levels did they take it out? So certainly that's something I'd be mindful of. That little chart that you just had up there before shows that it's been quite the roller coaster for VWX shareholders, you know, up to 7.75, lower dollar fifty, $1.50, rather, uh, when they had that management clean out. So it certainly is not for the faint, there we go, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, and I think Kim's nailed it, saying that a P of 43 times, uh, you're not getting a bargain. So yeah, I guess my overall mantra with a lot of companies we're talking about today is if we're coming into profit reporting season, sometimes it's better to wait and see what that result is and then buy, sure, the stock might pop, but equally so, if it's a disappointing result, A, you may stop yourself from buying it, or B, you're going to get it at a discount if you still like the result. But certainly, I'd be pretty cool on this one. Oh, and sorry, one last thing. CEO owns zero. Is that a problem for you when you don't have buy-in from management? Oh, look, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah it is, because you'd like to see them have some skin in, skin in the game. I mean, it's not, it's not completely imperative, but uh, it's always a good sign if the, uh, if the CEO... Um, has uh, has an equity position. Mind you, the flip side of that is when the CEO goes, I need to sell some shares, the market, you know, the market <laughs> goes, oh my God, you know, you know, throws, what, a what it, throws, it, throws a tanty. Just the interesting, the one last thing about uh, BWX, they were, they, they, they did say that they expected net profit to be up 48% mm -hmm. to $14 million for the, for, for the year. So they've, they've provided some guidance as to around where they, where they think it's going. So there's a pretty, there's a pretty decent earning, earnings base there for the company to the company to build on. Okay, well, one, I guess, question that we've got from a viewer that doesn't report, and you don't need to worry about risk around reporting season, is coming from David. So he's asking about the BetaShares Gold ETF. Now, yeah. this question uh, is probably pretty well timed, considering we're watching the price of gold, you know, continue to push higher, nearing that all-time high. If it doesn't push through it in the Asian session today. Uh, so would you be gaining exposure to gold via an ETF, Kim? The critical thing about an ETF is what are its components? Um, and I think when I looked at this one, the, the number of stocks that they were, there was about eight or nine stocks in it. Um, basically, it's a global, it's a global gold ETF. Doesn't, it contains a couple of Australian gold producers. I would have a tendency to want to keep my focus on the um, on the Australian gold producers because they're getting the you know the benefit of this Aussie US dollar um, um, gold price at the moment. And it was interesting uh, reading what Jack Klein from um, Evolution was saying. You know they're they're expecting really substantial profits, and what they're going to do is they're going to pay out those profits to shareholders in dividends. So I think. Um, I think where what I'd be focusing on in, um, in in gold, if you want to have that exposure, is more on Aussie gold than international gold because you're going to get the benefit of a the still the uplift in the gold price, but b you're going to get a potentially some potentially decent dividends coming out of that. And you know three stocks that look you know I think look reasonable are Northern Star, Saracen, and Evolution. But again, this comes back to what's your fundamental view on gold. And um, everybody What's your fundamental view on gold? gold. Well, you know, I mean, everybody. The, the, the consensus is that you've got to have some gold in your portfolio. It just depends on how on how much. Whether that should be five, ten, or fifteen percent depends on how bearish you are on the on the on the world view at the moment. What's your position on gold? 
five, uh, ten, so ten. No, it's under it's under five okay. because um, you know I, I'm 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 looking at it because I'm uh, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a rare. I guess some would call me an idiot, but I, my fear in the market at the moment is not a meltdown, but a melt up in the next six mm -hmm. months because I can I can see the market moving significantly higher. So, do I really want to have cap, scarce capital allocated in a defensive um, or a um, an aggressive growth uh, situation? So I'm 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 heading for the uh, for the door that says aggressive growth. I wouldn't have pegged you as an optimist, Ken, but uh, now I, I know I've been I schooled. I All right. certainly am. I will say Evolutions Executive Chair Jack Cl Jake Klein is going to be on the channel at 1pm today, so well, you'll you go. stick around and great, listen to great, that great one. Great segue for that. Andrew, what's your view on gold? I think Ken's pretty brave um, because if you look at MNRS or the other one that we like is GDX, um, they're predominantly Canadian focused. I would have thought having a Canadian beside you, you'd be at least sort of remotely warm about it, wouldn't you, Kim? Good side so, now, Andrew. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, seriously, um, we do, as Kim said, they basically own global gold miners. If we take it back a step, though, the other way to think about it is that you could actually just buy the physical gold itself. So you can actually buy an ETF. GOLD, or there's another one, the Perth Mint, PM Gold is the other way of doing it. If you want to take that risk out around management, dividends, etc., and you just have a particular view that you think gold is the way to go. If you, though, as Kim's saying, in essence, want to leverage that view that you like gold and you want to try and get dividends, etc., then certainly that international focus, you know, the question that we've been asked, our preference is GDX, which is the Van Eck product. It's about seven times bigger. At 350 million versus beta shares, which I think is about 30 odd million. The fee is around the same; it's around 50 odd basis points. Similar type of holdings. The key difference between the two is they simply track different indexes. MNMNRS tracks the Nasdaq Gold Index, whereas GDX tracks the uh, NYSE Index. But the only... our preference here, sorry Kim, our preference yeah. here is just gold, mm -hmm. as in yeah. GOL. I think the only thing that also concerns me about ETFs is that um, when you, because you have money moving in and out of ETFs, they, they're agnostic about what the market is actually doing. It depends on who's buying and who's selling. So if there's a, if there's a fall in the gold price and everyone goes, oh my God, we've got to get out, they, rush, they all rush for the door and they sell regardless. So your performance in an ETF can be affected by what the rest of the investor sentiment is. But if, and that's why I prefer to take more of a direct um, view in my gold investments rather than, you know, joining joining the herd. Well, this is also coming from well, an active an active manager. You've got to well, say, yeah, yeah, yeah there yep. you go. All right, let's move on from that. Uh, Lynn is asking for a view on Seek, which is our fourth stock. I'll start with you up in Toowoomba, Andrew, on Seek. So it's June quarter revenue fees fell by thirty four percent year on year. Um, activity levels picking back up in June, but we haven't seen the same rebound in fees. Are you concerned about Seek given all of the economic headwinds? Yeah, and I mean, if you look at who are their three biggest markets, Australia, Tick, China, and Brazil, you know, and you sort of think, and I know they just recently took a, a write down on that um, South American business, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, when your focus is on online employment and education in the middle of a one in a hundred year health emergency, that just worries me. I mean, it's a great business, you know, not suggesting for a moment it's not a great business, but if I'm looking at other online-like businesses, I mean, we like zero a lot. You are certainly paying a big multiple for zero. 
but certainly zero, I think, gives you a lot more sort of um, safety, if I can put it that way. Whereas with this one, uh, you are certainly taking a much greater risk given their reliance on offshore markets. I mean, their financials are ordinary. It's an average ROE, an average profit margin. Uh, the CEO, Andrew Bassett, of course, being one of the founders, has got significant skin in the game. He's got about $300 million worth. But, yeah, I'm just, I, I personally would be a bit cool on this, not because it's a bad business. I just think there are better online businesses. And Kim, you know, you said you like to go for growth. Do you think at 22-something, uh, Seek is worth paying for its growth runway? PE is about 35, so it is a little bit expensive, and they're going to take some um, some net cash impairments in the um, in in the, in the full year. So um, even though they're going to report EBITDA of around 410 million dollars, it'll still be a loss for the a loss for the year because of the, because of the COVID impact. The, the real question is how quickly can this business bounce back, as um, Andrew's pointed out, with its exposure in China and in, in Latin America. So I would. I would think with this with with this one, um, they've also um, they're, they're saying that they're they're seeing the stabilisation of, um, of of weekly billings, and they have been and they have been improving. Where they were down only sixty five, where they were down sixty five percent, they're only down thirty five to forty percent. So you can see that there's a turnaround there. The question is how quickly will that turnaround gather speed? So if you again, you know, everything's influenced by by COVID. Mm-hmm. How quickly is a vaccine going to they're going to arrive on the scene because that's going to it's going to have a significant impact on their business. But yeah, I think at these sorts of prices, it's it's one that you can afford to have some in your portfolio because there's not you know the bad news is in the market, and if you get some good news, you could see some good upside in it. Okay, so that is Seek, and uh, the final uh, stock here before we get to a little bit of a sum up comes from Henry who's asking about Nobonix. So the ticker code for this one is NVX. Oddly, I was just looking at this company yesterday, um, actually to do with something completely different. Andrew, so from what I understand, uh, this is a new sort of technology for batteries. Do you know the company and do you like it? Don't follow it super closely, but, and I'm sure Kim would agree with this, when you're looking at a company, one of the first things you're looking at is who's the management who are the major shareholders? What's the track record? You know, uh, especially when you are, as you're saying, it's a new type of technology. So if you have a look at who the MD here, it's Phillips and Baker, who basically turned, you know, 10 or 20 million with ERM and sold it off to Shell for two billion dollars. So St Baker absolutely has a good track record. It's a bit like following Bevan Slattery, you know, with all of his mm. various um, sort of uh, ventures. So. Very confident relating to management. You've got Washington Soul Pats, in other words, the Milner family. They're the second largest shareholder, so you've got some pretty deep pockets. Um, they recently did a share placement at 29 cents, raising 37 million. As you can see, the share price now is $1.28, so that's worked out pretty well. But really, it comes around that technology piece and ultra-lifelong batteries to be used in cars. Uh, you know, you've got major customers like Samsung and Sanyo as well. We're not talking BHP here, you know, like we're, we're certainly at the pointier end of things, but given the management, major shareholders, type of technology involved, it's certainly something that I would be having a look at, but would I pay $1.28? No, I'd like to see them come under a little bit of pressure perversely and then maybe have a bit of a nibble. Which, Andrew, could happen easily in a company like this in volatile times. So patience, patience, 
uh, before moving in. Kim, have you had a look at the company? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, the technology sounds interesting. It's um, uh, dry particle microgranulation, which um, um, increases the density of the battery storage. So obviously perfect for, 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 for EVs and ESSs, which is energy storage, storage system. Um, Andrew was dead right about management. Got a great great track record. The interesting thing about these guys is that they're they're applying to uh, get, get get overseas listings, and that's going to happen after the September quarter when they've had their financial results audited. So there's been plenty of chat in in various chat rooms. Could Tesla or somebody like that have a crack at this to get that uh, get mm -hmm. that technology? The answer to that is yes. So the question is, how much cash have they got in the balance sheet? What's their cash burn like? And um, having had one placement recently. There's probably another one in the in, in, you know that will mm -hmm. be in the winds in the next three to three to six months as they get on this commercialisation path. But um, I would have thought that this looks like a, it's worth a it's worth a punt. Mm -hmm. It's worth a punt. So this is would be allocated to the specy sort of part of your portfolio. So yeah, the aggressive growth yeah. uh, part of it. Because look, you know, you're either going to win or lose. But um, again. Um, you're back. You're backing management on this, and they've got their own. They've got the, they've got a great track track record. They've got their own money um, money in money in the game, and you've got some um, some some you know some shareholders who are obviously impressed by the technology that are there. Good one. Well, I'll follow up on that phone call I put in uh, yesterday. That was Novanix. Uh, NVX is the ticker code there. Hey, we are halfway or a little bit past that, believe it or not in the program. Let me do a little summary. GUD, which was the stock of the day, it reports on Tuesday. Neither one of our gents were very excited about this one. Um, when it comes to some of the questions that you guys put in though, Invocare, again, Andrew Whiteland saying that the CEO is selling its shares. It's not a buy for him. Kim Slater saying, look, it's got a dividend yield. It could have a place in a more defensive part of your portfolio. BWX was number two on the list, and the ticker code is BWX. Kim Slater says, look, it is a high multiple, but it is justified potentially by the runway for growth that is expected to continue to come through in the U.S. And they did release some you know, some forecasts to the market. So that's a plus in his eyes. But Andrew Whiteland says that uh, the A dollar could be a potential headwind. And look, this one is not a bargain. That took us to the beta shares gold ETF. Andrew Whiteland doesn't like this one in particular. He says, look, why wouldn't you go G-O-L-D? He likes uh, the Van Eck product. But um, Kim Slater just saying, look, why would you go through an ETF? when you could actually pick the companies that you believe will be winners and he looks more favorably on some of the Australian gold miners because they've got the Australian dollar gold price working in their favor so Northern Star Saracen Evolution would be ones that he could suggest you would have a look at if you're interested in gaining exposure to gold. He's not so much though. He believes that this market could be in a bit of a melt-up scenario for the next six months or so. Could be a controversial position, but uh, only time will tell. Seek. Kim Slater says, look, it's a bit exy. Uh, you can afford to have some in your portfolio. But, um, you know, again, you're looking for good news when it comes to the COVID case count, not only here in Australia, but also because it has exposure in China and Brazil as well. Andrew Whiteland, he says about Seek, he says it's a great business. But there are other options out there. And um, he says give Zero a look because, you know, Seek is not cheap either. And then Novanix. So NVX is a ticker code there. We were just discussing it. It's in that really hot space. So battery, long life batteries, EVs. Think about those thematics. And both of the guys, Andrew Veitlin and uh, Kim Slater saying, 
looks good. Like good management, management's backing it. Um, Andrew says, wait for a pullback because it, it could potentially happen. He would not be buying up at $1.28. But Kim Slater says, look, this is an aggressive, potentially an aggressive growth story. Again, he backs management. And yeah, I think, it's a, I think that was a buy coming from Kim Slater. You're right. I mean, with, with, no, with, with NBX, it's going to be one of those situations you're going to wake up one morning and find that they've done a deal overseas with somebody some, somewhere, somehow. Yeah. And, you know, the share price is going to gap to the upside. All right. So there you go. Let's so, um, just get you across what's coming up a little bit later today. So don't go anywhere when this program is over. Coming up, we will be speaking with the CEO of Future Generation, Louise Walsh. So it delivers an income stream for high impact charities. And Louise is gonna be telling us all about the unique investment opportunity that it presents and some of the good work that it does as well. So that's at about 1.30 right here on Ausbiz. And I think I already mentioned it, but we will be hearing from the exec chair of Evolution, Jake Klein, and that will be around about the 1 p.m. mark. So plenty still to come. Plenty still to come on this program as well. Let's get cracking, shall we? Uh, this question is coming from Lakshan. It's Mincor Resources. MCR is the ticker code. Kim, this one also, you know, if we talk about cap raisings, it's in that bucket. It has uh, launched a $60 million cap raising through a placement in SPP. Uh, do you know the company? Do you like the company? It's in that, it's in that nickel phase mm -hmm. and, uh, on, and in that nickel exploration um, area. And it's um, essentially looking to reopen some old Cambalda nickel mines. Um, couple of interesting points. Andrew Forrest is a shareholder and um, Independence Group is also a significant shareholder. So they're both both supporting the supporting the placement. It it looks it looks like um, it looks like an interesting interesting punt. It's it's well um, it's well capitalized. Um, cash burns about three billion uh, three million dollars a quarter. So um, I'd be inclined to um, inclined to have a have, have a have a go at this one because Again, you know, with the pedigree that it's got, and with the amount of capital that it's got, um, you know, this could be this 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 could be good. But it's definitely an event-driven stock, a news a news event-driven stock. So you got to you got to keep you got to keep you got to keep an eye on what. Yeah, doing. and and that that is sort of you know the way that it goes in this sort of exploratory phase for a lot of these companies, isn't it, Andrew? You know, uh, they burn through cash. They often have to raise more to dig more or to drill more to find uh, the prospect. So you comfortable putting money into something like Mincor Resources? I think I'm going to disagree with Kim six on six. Um, look, there's, there's nothing wrong with it and it's trading well below consensus. Um, MD owns no shares. Again, you know, you're just thinking, put a little bit in, you know, help me out here. Uh, obviously, the, the, my big concern is that nickel price is under pressure. Nickel price, having rebounded off those March lows, albeit that's a low benchmark in itself, it's still off 30% from where it was last September, albeit they were you know, five-year highs, but nickel is still trying to find its feet. Nickel itself is quite interesting. You know, We were talking before about EVs, um, electric vehicles. Nickel, one of the big things it's being used for at the moment is in those lithium-ion batteries. So from that point of view, there is certainly a need for the product, but we're still seeing the nickel price under pressure. So uh, again, I'm not, I'm not in the melt up world with Kim. I'm probably not in the extreme meltdown world with Kim. I'm sort of in a five, a five to 10% correction coming into US presidential election cycle. And some of these fringe ones that we've been talking about, 
i.e. Mincor, that might be the time to pounce, but I probably wouldn't be doing it just yet. There's so much we could talk about about the U.S. election cycle. We will leave it for now. I fear we will eat up all of our time. Let's get to the next stock because I think we will spend a bit of time on this one. It's Macquarie Group. So MQG, I think everyone knows the ticker code. Um, There was a pretty strong U.S. investment June quarter, U.S. Investment Bank June quarter. So, Kim, does that give you a little bit of a an insight into what we could potentially expect from Macquarie as well? Yeah, it does, because Goldman, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs reported particularly strong earnings from um, their, uh, their their prop trading areas, which is where Macquarie has uh, has big exposure, particularly in commodities. So um, I tend to I tend to think that you're going to see a pretty good um, pretty good report um, out from out from Macquarie. They're, they're probably not going to be as um, definitive in their forecasts as they have been because, you know, again, the, un- the, un- the uncertainty. But um, I think the surprise is going to come to the, um, the, the, is going to come to the upside on this, uh, uh, on this stock. Um, you've got to remember, these guys are masters of the leverage game. You know, with interest rates at uh, basically at zero, as they proved uh, post-GFC, they, they got on board, they borrowed a lot of money and they made a lot of money for shareholders and themselves, I might add. And you know, this time, this time round, in infrastructure, commodities trading, equities, um, these, got, these, guys are, these guys are going to be there. They're, they've got a price to book value of around two times, so it's a little bit expensive, but it's, I think it's a little bit cheap compared to, you know, compared to the investment banking theme that we're looking at. Um, so they're highly geared to they're highly geared to the global recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, what could the share price do? Well, that's anyone anyone's guess. But um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see this stock maybe at 150, 175 bucks in 12 months' time. Andrew, uh, you know, expensive is relative, isn't it? You know, if you're paying up for quality, then perhaps Macquarie is not expensive. Discuss. Yeah, this one. Discuss. Thank you. Uh, thank you for a flashback to grade 12. Uh, this uh, this looks exactly like, sorry, this is a buy. Like out of all the ones we're going to cover today, sorry I'm stealing the last three th- thunders, but this is a buy. Um, I do like Macquarie. We, one of the themes we've been talking about this whole 45 minutes is companies have been out raising capital. And Macquarie has been, if not at the top of the leaderboard, very close to the top of the leaderboard relating to underwriting and collecting investment banking fees. Uh, never mind the U.S. investment banking piece that we just heard about from Kim there before as well. So this is a quality business. They got caught with their pants down in the GFC. They learned a lot from that and they turned the GFC from adversity into a great opportunity. And as we heard, they made a heap of money out of it. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. And certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to buy it today, but on any weakness, I'd be filling my boots. It's only a P of around 16 times, which is Probably not expensive mm. when you look at it in comparison to the, 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 the its cohort. The other interesting area which they're making a big push into is into the Australian mortgage market. Mm. So they're number five. They're at the you know they're on the caboose end of that train. But um, if you think about the valuations that um, are normally applied to mortgage books, and you and, and you slot that bit of the business if they can grow it into into Macquarie, there's just more earnings uplift coming. Mm-hmm. So you know, they, and they've and they've proven time and time again that they have the ability to execute and to execute successfully. And if it doesn't work, they cut and run. 
Right. I feel like I need a bell or something to, to ring it. We'll ring Those it. are two buys. We'll ring it, we'll ring it. it from ring a Ring it now and ring it loudly. <laughs> okay. That was a question from Sammy. Thanks for the question, Sammy. Let's get to Sandra's question. She's asking about Aurora. It is our eighth stock if we keep track, gents. Um, look, again, Andrew, you could talk about the pandemic when it comes to Aurora. It's... Um, it's it's getting restricted businesses. I guess you know it's just it's a tough tough area of the market to be in if you're not selling a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I know that's simplifying it. That's that's obviously the name of the game. But the headwinds are there for Aurora. Would you agree? Oh, without a doubt. And we saw with that Coca-Cola Amatil results uh, or update yesterday. You know, what was their number one concern that consumption is down? And you know, no, no great surprises there. So, um, look, it's probably not a business I'm terribly interested in. Certainly the share price is presenting more opportunities, down about 25% over the, uh, the last 12 months. They recently did that share consolidation, uh, paid that special dividend. So, in other words, the, the, the capital reason to be there, the special opportunity reason to be there has gone. Um, it's got good pedigree, of course, being spun out of Amcor back in 2013. but. The chart looks terrible. Uh, certainly, the 12-month chart there looks terrible. And yeah, you're right. It's it's just a consumption piece. And if people aren't consuming, then their business is under pressure. So it becomes a value buy at some stage. But I'm not convinced we're there yet. So I'd, I'm still I'm gonna avoid. If you're a little bit adventurous, <laughs> um, I, I see a three dollar to three twenty-five target on this stock. Um, and it might take a bit of time to time to get there. I mean, obviously, the big the big swing factor for this company is the U.S. turnaround, mm -hmm. where they, they they had a problem where you know their um that they were their um craft beer cans were offsetting the sales of wine bottles. Why both weren't going up, I don't know. Yeah. They should have been. Not but, around my uh, head, they're not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. selling to my house. So. Their earnings, you know, their earnings in the half are only up to two percent. So, um, problems with the U.S. businesses swing factor. The result may not look to be too bad. Um, has a fair bit of debt on board, but as I say, if they can execute this turnaround, and they have been making bolt-on acquisitions in the U.S., so you know, usually with a lot of companies, you know, the, the story is that it's the, the hour before dawn is the darkest, and this is. You know, one of those one of those stocks that fits that. Fits but you'd that want to know management then. You'd want to yeah. really have faith in in their ability so, to execute. So, so uh, again, wait for the wait for the full year result. Look at it, and then I think it, the stock might pop on you. You know, a, a few percent from here, but I still think I still think there's enough enough upside, and it's not a, it's not going to be a shoot your lights out job, mm -hmm. but it's it's a reasonable a reasonable defensive play on the back of management being able to execute this, uh, this this turnaround and they are pretty and they are pretty good at that type of thing. And it's currently trading at $2.37. There you go, Sandra. I hope that did help form your view. Don't forget this is not financial advice. This is information only. Everything has to be tailored to your own financial situation. So we trust that you will um, seek some advice further to this. Let's get to our ninth stock and that is QBE, and that's been sent to us by Jacob. Hey, Andrew, we had QBE out this week updating the market. Statutory loss being expected of 750 million US at COVID-19 headwinds. It's the overarching theme and will be for quite some time. Larger than expected COVID claims coming through. The share price on the day, at least, rose. Now, a lot of people pointing to their pricing power and uh, looking to 
I guess, improve pricing going forward. Would that be enough, though, to get you on board QBE? No, not at all. Um, oh, don't steal again. my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> We're not agreeing again, Kim, surely. No, we are. Uh, we are. No. This is this is this is this is this is an absolute. You do not need to own this stock. Yeah. So, I mean, in my world, I don't like insurance companies. That's and I know that's a very general sweeping statement, and you know, each one of them has a nuance. But let's look how insurance companies make money. Do they make insurance underwriting insurance? Generally, no. They might have occasional pockets where they do, and if they're very niche enough, but generally insurance companies, they're trying to match out what they get in as a premium and what they pay out from a claim. What they're doing though is holding onto your money for a period of time and trying to make money with that. Without being Captain Obvious, it's a bit hard to make money at the moment. And mm. so companies, insurance companies are under immense pressure at the moment. I mean, we can talk about health insurance for a moment and the likes of Medibank, et cetera, uh, whereby they're not having as many claims so they can sort of hold on to your money a bit longer. But look, I would call QBE the widowmaker trade. It mm -hmm. has been a disappointment from the days of Franco Halloran when he was Pac-Man going all around the world. Uh, O'Regan has, uh, uh, Pat Regan rather, has been divesting himself of all these Latin American businesses. It's got a return on equity of 6%. It's got a weak profit margin. Its revenue growth is 2%. And the icing on the cake for me is it's an 86% dividend payout ratio, so there's not a lot of fat left. So I can say no many times in this. The only bad news that's coming out of this is your insurance premiums are going up if you've got a <laughs> yeah. QBE policy, because you know that's the that's the that's the given. Um, as Andrew said, there's pressure there's pressure on yields, so it's um, difficult to get the investment returns mm -hmm. that you need. Um, you're probably looking at. I reckon another 12 months where they're going to be reporting, you know, reporting reporting losses. And I, you know, whilst the stock probably is worth 11 or 11.50, I think there's more downside to it than there is upside. No need to be there. No need uh, to be there. All right, let's get our final stock now. This one, admittedly, I had to look up and would like an opinion on my state. My state comes from a long history of community bankers, and it is Tasmanian. It's, uh, it's based in Tasmania. It's looking, though, to go national. So it's got a campaign that's been created in lockdown that is aimed at showing the bank's empathetic side. Um, my state, do you know it? Like you, I had to go looking okay. for this. Uh, well, looking this is for this. why we like to put you through your paces. You know that. You can't uh, just come in here and I know. have yeah, a and, free ride. And, and wobble on. Um, look, it trades by appointment. You know, it's, not, it's got a market cap of about $300 million. Um, the, the, the thing that did catch my eye is that it's got a pretty good dividend yield of around 7%. seven so um, from a defensive point of view, Anne's hit, hit the jackpot if she's a shareholder, um, half-year profit was up 5.5% to about $15 million. Interestingly, they've got funds under management through their, um, through their financial planning of about $1.2 billion, and their loan book is about $5.1 billion. So they're not big, uh -huh. but they're looking, to, they're, they're looking, as you said, to um, grow their business through their um, through their online portal, doesn't look doesn't look expensive. P of twelve, but it's not something that you go into boots and all unless you were you know completely convinced of it because of the because of liquidity. It's always easy to get in, but remember you've got to get out at some point. Yeah, Andrew, uh, did you have to look up my state, or are we behind the eight ball with this one? Uh, not so much. Yes and no. Um, I've been. I mean, I haven't been doing this as long as Kim, but 
with due respect, Kim, uh, but one of my uh, 1997 for me. And He's got the I filter my, on that uh, webcam, by the way, I think. Uh, my mentor, <laughs> you know, Liz. Yeah, my uh, mentor, what he used to do is put me through my paces by reading physical annual reports and Tasmanian Perpetual Trustees was one of the ones that he used to throw at me and what do you think of this, mate? <laughs> so, you know, that's really the history of how we've got to my state today. Not disagreeing with everything that Kim is saying, but if you remember at the beginning, you, Nadine, you referenced the BOQ results yeah. and that Baal 3 stuff that they spoke about. And one of the things that was talk, that they spoke about there was an increased provision for bad and doubtful debts because of their Queensland focus. And part of that growth strategy of my state has been focusing on Queensland. So that certainly would be a concern for me. How much money have they lent in that tourism and travel style? Um, of Queensland. As everyone knows, I'm a passionate Queenslander, but you know, when it comes down to the numbers, that's something we need to be mindful of. The other thing that Kim referenced was that dividend and 7.75%. I mean, that's magic. But I would just be cautious that it's a 90% dividend payout ratio. So if your bad and doubtful debts are rising, there might be some pressure on you to actually hold some capital back to put some money aside. So, you know, is that 7.75%? I mean, even if it drops to five, it's still pretty good. Ultimately, though, do I want to be in that banking space? Probably not. I mean, I want Macquarie, very happy there, but a, a retail bank at a time where $269 billion worth of loans are on forgiveness at the moment, uh, I'd just be pretty cautious. And Kim's right, it's a crab pot, easy to get into, difficult to get out of. Mm -hmm. That brings us to the end of our program. Now, I do like to sum it up. Our viewers like it to be summed up. Some of them, I think, follow with that pen and paper at hand. So let's go through Mincor Resources. Kim Slater says, look, it's got uh, Andrew Forrest on its registry, and it looks like uh, they'll be buying more shares as it raises capital. He says it's a punt, but there is some pedigree behind it. Uh, though Andrew Veitland says, look, it's the nickel price. It's coming off. Nothing wrong with it it's just that uh well except for the fact that the md has no shares but um yeah it's just not an area that he's interested in macquarie ring the bell two buys on macquarie great business not looking too expensive could easily see this is kim slater the price up at 150 175 andrew says it's quality buy it on any weakness but wouldn't mind even owning it at this price must be said aurora Aurora is leveraged to consumption. Andrew's not totally sure that, that uh, that's going to be coming back in any meaningful way. But Kim says, look, it could have a $3, $3.25 price target on it. It all comes down to execution as the U.S. business turns around, but he's not ruling that out. And it's currently trading at $2.37. Uh, QBE, what can I say? It's a firm no from both of the gents for... Um, you know, for many reasons, but Andrew Veitland calls it uh, a widowmaker trade. So I think that's all you really need to know about that. And then it was my state. So this is a Tasmanian-based bank looking to grow, looking to grow in Queensland. Andrew said that might, might be a bit of a problem going forward. Think about bad and de doubtful debts in this environment. We know what the pandemic is doing. We know of all the uncertainties that are out there and what we've heard already from Bank of Queensland today. But Kim Slater says, you know, if you're in it, you're lucky. And 7% uh, dividend payout could be a bit defensive. Illiquidity would be one of the main concerns there. So that is a wrap for the call, not just today, but for this week. A huge thanks to our guests for joining us in studio. Kim Slater, thank you. Thanks, indeed. Andrew Veitland up in Toowoomba, Queensland. Go enjoy your Friday. Have a good weekend. Thanks for joining us again. Nice to chat. Thank you.
Don't go anywhere. Startup Daily is next. Today, we'll be speaking with Frances Atkins. She is co-founder of Giveable, which has just won the inaugural CBA X15 Ventures program. Good for her. So we'll be finding out what she's done right, where to from here. Is it an investable opportunity? That's from 2.30 p.m. right here on Ausbiz.